and that's going to be page 794 in the red trimming terminal. <clears throat> when you come to that, please stand with us. <clears throat> Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, like a The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. May God the Father add his blessing to this holy and inspired reading. Brother Dale Donovan, would you lead us as we begin our service today in prayer? You take your red hymnal this morning and turn to number 381, 381 in the red.
Mr. George. Yes, sir. 488 in the brown. All right, that was a quick hand. You were thinking about this. Do you have a reason for this hymn this morning? <laughs> you wanted to sing it last week. Okay. It keeps me singing. Amen. All right. 488 in the brown. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. That'll be page 1374 in your pew Bibles. When you come to that, 
kindly stand with us. Any of you guys remember what flannel graph is? Ever heard of that? Flannel graph? Showing my age. In Mrs. Ludwig's Rosebuds, we were taught the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then sub summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, he must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have, you have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of, of Babylon, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O God. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you had set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Sadrach? Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers of his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, turbans, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked for his advisors. Weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the furnace? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, had, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's it, the Lord would bless his word. Will you take your red hymnal again and turn to number two? Number two in the red.
better be close when I'm preaching for me. Good morning, brethren. How are you? Father is sick. He called me at uh, 5.30 this morning, and <clears throat> usually I'd be very groggy in the state of conditions that I'm in and wonder what to do, but the Lord woke me up immediately and had me go downstairs and start writing. <clears throat> I'm thankful for the opportunity. And I will say this to you that I've said it to many who come and talk to me after the messages that I'm preaching to myself first. The wondrous thing about being the pastor, the preacher, the person in charge of teaching is that God has to deal with your heart before you can deal with others and send the message. Scripture says the wounds from a friend can be trusted. There's no closer friend than Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the opportunity to meet this morning. Tired, yes. Mixed of a holiday weekend, yes, Lord. All the things that are going on in our country, in our lives, the chaos that's there. But we have met this morning, Lord, for the distinct purpose of worshiping you. I pray, Lord, that what has already transpired in the reading of the word, the singing of the hymns, the meditation. I pray, Lord, that that has been in worship of you. Help us this morning. Without your help, without the Holy Spirit, this is a vain meeting of people. Without you, this is just a club. I pray you'll send your spirit upon us. Help us to listen, open our hearts, open our ears, and open my mouth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in our world today, we find many people in the pursuit of all sorts of endeavors. People are busy, especially in our culture of hurry up and do something. The something that we do is not always productive, but we're probably always busy. Activities range from crafting things, consuming media, being online, watching others do something, gaming, reading, you name it, someone is doing something. Even sleeping is doing something when you stop and think about it. Nonetheless, in this rather quick list of mine, there is something missing. Something that is innate to all of us. Something that is of vital importance. Something that all of us do 
in some form or another, whether we give lip service to the activity or not. We all worship, and that is what we are supposed to be doing right now. We have actually met this morning for the distinct purpose of the public worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least that's what we say we are doing today. My friends, we were not designed uh, to, to, sorry, my friends, we were designed to worship. You cannot not worship. I guarantee you that there are currently, that you are currently worshiping something right now. And hopefully that something is God, but often even those who confess to worship God are actually worshiping something else. Your actions speak louder than your words. What are your actions saying about you? And even if you can deceive those around you, even those within this local assembly, no one can deceive God. God knows the hearts and minds of everyone. He knows me. He knows you. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. No one fools God. Who is to be worshipped, brethren? Apart from the personal sacrifices to God that were made by Cain and Abel, the first mention of a larger-scale worship in the Bible is found in Genesis 4, verse 26. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what has happened since the creation of Adam and Eve? Well, sin has entered the world. Mankind has been driven from the Garden of Eden, where we shared unhindered intimacy with God. And we have been increasing in numbers. You see, there must have been an issue with people teaching their children who God actually was, because by the time of Abram's calling, God has to tell Abram who he is. We find this uh, first in Genesis 15, I am the Lord, he says to Abram. By this time in history, there are other gods, gods that mankind is worshiping. In fact, God has to claim exclusive rights to godhood in Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equipped you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. God spells this concept out to fledgling Israel in Exodus verse 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of that land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, the first six verses. You see, even before the refinement of idolatry of our day, mankind has been distancing itself from God even as Adam hid from, the, from God in the garden following his sin. We have been trying to give worship to other things rather than to God. 
But brethren, here's a key concept. Worship belongs to God and God alone. The worship we give is not ours as if we have generated something within ourselves. No, rather, worship belongs to God and God alone. It's inherently his. We are inherently his. And that is why God and does make demands, righteous demands, on worship. Later on in Isaiah 48, God says this, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. God has made abundantly clear in his contest with the gods of Egypt. You can clearly hear his purpose in Exodus 12, verse 12. At the end of the plagues, he says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. What about the contest between the Philistine god Dagon? When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this very day. 1 Samuel 5, the first five verses. As you may recall, until the Philistine people returned the Ark of the Covenant, each city to which they sent the Ark was cast into absolute chaos. The people were afflicted with boils. No Philistine town wanted the Ark of the Covenant to come to them. And if these two accounts were not enough to show us the jealousy that God has for his worship, remember the account of his contest with Baal. You'll find that account in 1 Kings 18, verses 20 and following. And so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. 
And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon, out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may, that, may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Brethren, this jealous God of the Old Testament is the very same jealous God of today. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Malachi 3.6 And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. You know, even his angels, who are very glorious beings, so much so that when, when, when they come into contact with common people, those people are prompted to worship. But they, the angels, know who is the object of true worship. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19, verse 10. Most un angels understood this concept, except, of course, Satan himself. And Satan has always wanted the worship that rightly belongs to God. Now the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, the, to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Matthew 4, 8-11. through 11. Having established that God is the only person 
not only deserving of worship, but also demanding of worship. Who is to do the worshiping of God? Well, probably the text that sums up who is to be worshiping God is Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded, and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Psalm 148. Continuing the idea of creation, let's consider the rebuke Jesus gave to the Pharisees in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, found in Luke 19. Verse 36 through 40 reads, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, as he was drawing nearby, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all his mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus chose stones as an object lesson? We consider stones as completely nothing. There's no life in them. They are made mostly of dirt. They are stubbornly inanimate objects. And yet, Jesus said these common, heavy, inanimate stones will find a voice to praise their creator if the vice regent of all of God's creation will not. You still think God is not concerned with his worship? One more. Although there are many passages concerning God's worship, how often do you think that God is actively being worshipped? Well, there is at least one passage that speaks to this. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six, six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. 
For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 4, 6 through 11. Brethren, why do we worship? We worship because, as we have already looked this morning, God, by his very nature, is deserving of all praise and honor. This is not a need of God. God does not need us to worship him. God does not need anything. God is not in heaven worrying about the increasing amount of people who do not worship him at all or do not worship him properly. <clears throat> no, God is completely self-sufficient. Worship, rather, is the natural and good response to the creator from his creation. God creates, creation worships. Sin did not stop this design by God. It only corrupted it. And since the fall into sin, mankind has been trying to replace God as the center of worship with any and everything possible. All of it boils down to this principle. Everything apart from God has been created by God so that if anything but God is worshipped, Creation is then worshiping something that God created rather than the creator. Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteous, unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans 1, 18-25. And at this point, I must ask you, who or what are you worshiping? Everyone worships something. God made us to worship, and we do. The problem is we worship the wrong things. What we choose to worship tells a lot about us. Worship demands time, attention, and energy. So what is it that you cherish? What is it that you love? Do you love your work? Do you love your leisure? Do you love someone? Do you love your friends? Do you love fiction and stories? Do you love to collect things? Do you love your pets? Do you love games? Do you love attention? Do you love yourself? Brethren, I must say that these interests and things can distract us from our true love, who is God. In heaven, there are no distractions. God is the center, and God is the focus of all who inhabit his kingdom. And also of the things I listed that we love, 
enlisted it yourself or ourselves last. And that is because I believe that this is the root of all idolatry. If you listen to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and see if any of this list hits close to home and heart. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Now probably we look at this passage and apply it only to the world. But the context of this instruction to Timothy is to the church who was having the problem with the appearance of godliness. It was the people that were within the church. They would be the ones that would try be trying to look godly. To some, up to this passage, there are some people who say that they worship God but actually worship something else. Idolaters among the worshipers, tares among the wheat. Furthermore, Jesus tells us plainly where our attention and focus should remain. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Most people, and correctly, I believe, think that this passage is dealing with the amassing of things on earth which are going to pass away. They are temporary. The idea is to focus on investing in treasures in heaven where things are going to be permanent. But I also think people may miss what the treasure is in heaven. The treasure in heaven is not possessions. It's not the loved ones who have arrived before us. No, the treasure is simply Jesus Christ. We're to invest there, in Jesus. I'm not hoping to make it simply to change locations and go to heaven when I die. I'm not just hoping for a transfer of address. I'm hoping to be with Jesus Christ. Wherever he is, that's heaven. If heaven wasn't described as it is in Scripture with all the gold and jewels and extravagance, as long as I was with Jesus, Jesus, that would be just and fine. In fact, that would be perfect. You know, your idea of what you think bliss and perfection is tells a lot about what you worship. When you ponder heaven, do you think about the streets of gold and your own dwelling place in glory? Or do you think about Jesus? Do you think about meeting great heroes of the faith and asking all sorts of questions? Or is the person you really want to meet Jesus? Do you think about finding relatives and being reunited, or do you want to be united with Jesus? Do you think about resting finally from all the labor of this life, or do you want to rest in Jesus? Brethren, how have you spent your life thus far? Have you used the energy, time, 
and resources that God entrusted to you in the pursuit of anything and everything for yourself and apart from the pursuit of God himself? God made you to worship him and him alone, and he equipped you for this purpose. Have you divided your interests and tried to keep a balance in your life? God refers to himself as an all-consuming flame, not a small fire contained in a fireplace. You cannot balance God in something else. The scale always tips massively in God's favor. But like Solomon, we try to fill the God-shaped hole in our souls with anything else. And in so doing, brethren, we are idolaters and guilty of the condemnation found in Romans 1. We need to get our priorities straight. God first. That's it. Want to serve your family? Serve God first. Want to excel at work? Excel first at serving God. You want rest from your labor? Make God your resting place and not in a vacation or a leisure, some leisure time. Brethren, when God is worshipped properly, great things happen. And that is for our country, too. You want America to return to its godly moorings? Then you start with you. Asking God to change this country without pleading with God to change our hearts is a futile request. If America ever repents, it will be because God's people repented first. Brethren, even if we claim to worship God, we certainly have issues in doing so. Beyond allowing for personal convictions within the lives of every believer, there are things that we should be doing. In the past, some of our traditions have become law rather than the actual word of God in regards to worship. Before we look at anything we do in our own worship service, we have to ask this pointed question. Why did you come here today? One of two reasons could be possible. Either you came here for you or you came here for God. Let me explain. If you came here expecting to hear a sermon and be blessed by it, that in and of itself is a good thing, but it should not be the main reason for you being here today. If you came here expecting to sing songs that edify and encourage you, that in and of itself is a good thing, but it should not be the main reason for you being here today. And if you came here expecting to fellowship with other Christians, to catch up on their lives, that that in and of itself is a good thing, but it should not be the main reason for you being here today. Your main reason for being here this morning should be the worship of the risen Savior, Jesus the Messiah. The reason you don't feel like you may not have gotten something out of a message is because you are here for the wrong reason. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus Christ and conforming you into his image. If it's not about Jesus Christ, it's wrong. I'm growing tired of hearing people complain about not getting something from a message or not liking the old or the new hymns or wondering why we even sing at all. If you get nothing from a worship service, there is only one problem. Somehow you and the Holy Spirit are not communicating. Either he is not in the service, or you are not in alignment, and you are not listening to him. The power of worship 
belongs to God, not the people. God must empower his people through the Holy Spirit to worship as he does in everything else. Finding a new church may offer program, programs we don't. A different pastor and teachers that say things in a different way. Maybe even better, because God has equipped men differently. But even if you do, you will not find a different Holy Spirit, if he's there at all. The very same Holy Spirit teaching at the other church down the road is the one that is teaching here. The beauty of preaching lies not in the eloquence of the earthen jar standing before you on any given Sunday, but rather in the Savior that is preached. The power behind any conviction that leads to repentance for the new believer or the unbeliever, uh, repentance for the, for the unbeliever to come to Christ, is the undaunted work of the Holy Spirit who sways for no man. Now you may have issues with our pastor or me and Doug as elders. But quite frankly, we don't matter. God has used pagans and at least one donkey to deliver his word. It's not about us. God can and will eventually replace us. It's about him. It always has been. Are you listening for his spirit? In our own services, I think we have some soul searching to do. We need to be ready to worship anytime we meet as a church. What preparations have you personally done this morning, knowing you were meeting with others of God's people for the distinct purpose of worshiping God? Did you at least read your Bible this morning? Did you pray? Did you pray to God for the services? Have you anticipated, wanted, and desired to be here to worship God all this week? And our behavior shows our values. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Is that true of us? Do we, do we start when we say we're going to start services? I know this morning I was trying to push us to get there because this has been my issue too. Are we all in the room when we corporately begin worship? Do we stay in the room while the service is going on? Some things to think about. Staff meetings last about an hour. Classes at school last about an hour. Movies are about two hours long. First of all, are we on time to those things? Secondly, do we stay there and not leave until it's finished? Add to that that worship is a spiritual discipline and that we are inclined by sin to resist being here. And all of these issues that I've just mentioned about become spiritual problems. Our actions show our priorities. If we're only meeting as a club, all of this doesn't matter. But if we're meeting to worship God, then it really does matter. We need to prepare for worship. We need to be there for worship. And we need to stay for worship. This is God's house, and this is the most important thing you will be doing today, whether you realize it or not. Do it right. I was recently asked by one of my darling daughters why we dress up for church. First off, we don't dress up as a sign of religiosity. We dress in our Sunday best, that term, to demonstrate that, as with Abel, we bring our very best to God. He is deserving of all of the first fruits 
and he most definitely deserving of our respect. We dressed our very best at weddings and funerals to show respect. We should do no less when we enter God's house to worship. Why do we stand for the reading of the word of God? Well, we do so as a congregation out of reverence and respect for what God has said. We place a preeminence on his word. You're sitting while I'm preaching to you, but you stand when God speaks directly in the word of God. There's a certain level of reverence there. I should say to you that this is not the reason why we stand to sing. As any choir director will tell you, you sing best when you stand. We want to sing our best to God. But why do we even sing at all? Because God tells you to. Brethren, I know, some of you don't like to sing. We sometimes do not like the things we're told to do. Sometimes we're not good at the things we're told to do. Thankfully, God does not include in his word that we must be fabulous singers. His requirements are extremely low. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, Psalm 95, 1 and 2. Or how about, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Psalm 98. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Make a joyful noise. That's what's commanded. Music is going to be different in heaven. I'm positive. But while on earth, use what God gave you in praising him. Singing may not be what you think is necessary. But if these psalms didn't change your mind, maybe some New Testament passages may. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Look carefully then how you walk, not as an unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord within your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him, Galatians 3, 16 through 17. And of course, Mark 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So even if you cannot sing, that does not exclude you from the responsibility to praise him audibly with a joyful noise. Pastor Tucker used to say, I may not be able to do something perfectly, but I can do it correctly. Indeed, if you're more worried about what people may think about your singing than actually doing what God has commanded you to do, you need to reevaluate your reasons for singing. It's about God, not you. To end this morning, I'd like you to turn in your pew Bibles. I see I'm missing one up here, so I'll find one. You turn to 983. You're going to find that towards the center of the Bible. You probably know where I'm headed. It's 983. You'll probably notice that these are the last two Psalms. Psalm 149 and Psalm 150. I'm going to read Psalm 149 to you. I've read a lot of psalms this morning. But when I conclude, I'd like us to sing, or not sing, to read Psalm 150 together. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron to carry out the sentence written against them this is the glory of all his saints. Praise the Lord. Please join me. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts this morning that the things that we have placed in the slot that belongs to you has been filled with everything that we possibly could think of. If we were to stop and sit and talk amongst ourselves about the things that we have been chasing after our lives, Lord, I'm not even sure we'd have enough time. But it will only take one moment for us to know who we should be pursuing. I ask, Lord, for repentance for us and for salvation for those who don't know you. Allow us to worship. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen.
Our last hymn is in the red hymnal. 107. Following, we'll take a break and we'll meet together for the Lord's service.